Are y'all looking for a way to create a podcast? Well, with Anchor, it makes the process as easy as a layup. With the No Limit Podcast, there is no limit to what we talk about, and the same goes for Anchor. You can edit and record seamlessly from your phone and computer and get your podcast up and running in minutes. One thing I didn't know when I started was that Anchor does everything for you and automatically distributes your podcast on all platforms like Spotify, Google, and Apple Podcasts, and many more. So when you tune into the No Limit Podcast, make sure to download the app or go to anchor.fm to get started and make your dreams become a reality. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the No Limit Podcast. It's your boy, J-Man. It's been a very, very long time. A lot of new things have been uh, on the on the, the up, as I'd say. Um, made, a, made a website, uh, made a little team, and most importantly, I am back with my co-host, Antonio. Antonio, how are you doing? What's up, what's up? I'm good, Jay, man. Um, happy to be back, man. It's been a while. Absolutely. Uh, took, a, took a little break just because we were uh, figuring some things out. But uh, we're going to be coming at you live with uh, a segment every Thursday and some inter- uh, some guest interviews uh, every week as well. So be on the lookout for that. Um, a lot of things have been happening. Uh, I want to take a little uh, blast from the past. Um, I don't know if you saw my article uh, on the website about my all-decade team since the 1950s. Mm-hmm. Um, I think what a great way to start off uh, the episode of the uh, of August and going over those teams. Um, without further ado, um, see, let's go the 1950s. Um, so when I was doing the 1950s, I really couldn't think of a lot of people to put just because I don't know much about the 1950s. I don't know if you know about 1950s basketball. Not uh, not a ton. You know, I'd be lying if I said I was, you know, proficient in the so, 50s. Um, so the 50s is probably going to go by a breeze, probably will probably will uh, come to an agreement. But at the starters, I got Bob Cousy, you know, mm-hmm. Bill Sharman, Adolph Shays, Bob Pettit, uh, big man George Mikan. Coming off the bench, I got Andy Phillip, Paul Erzin, Neil Johnston, George Yardley. Like I said, I don't know. Uh, I don't. I don't know any of these players. I only know a couple, like Bob Cousy, Bob Pettit, George Mikan. Um, my notable mentions. Um, I kept Bill Russell off this list, and a lot of people were uh, kind of concerned with that, just because you know he played three seasons. But that's the reason I kept him off the list. He only played three seasons in this decade. He didn't have the resume in the fifties to be considered here. But he did put up a whopping 22.6 rebounds and 16 points in those three seasons. So some could argue to put him in the lineup. Um, what do you think about this list? Um, like I said, I'm not proficient in the 50s, but it looks like you have three, at least from my end, three very big-name players from their eras, Incuzi, um, Pettit, and Mike. And, um, I will say on the Russell point, then we can move on to the 60s. Um, this kind of coincides with the the recent all-decade 2010 team that came out. Um, I believe it was on NBA.com. Uh, and they have Kobe in there um, for the third team, all-NBA decade team. And he only played, I believe it was four seasons in the 2010s. But his, his, he had a similar dominant run in that in the start to uh, the 2010s um, that Bill Russell kind of has in the 50s. So it's kind of interesting um, that you didn't put him in there, but I understand why you didn't. It's yeah. Cool. Um, yeah, it was kind of confusing when I was looking over the, the guidelines to the, the NBA decade because they were, for the 2010 team, they did take Kobe's 2000, half of Kobe's 2009 season so I believe like half of the 2009 season is the reason why he was on there as well um but yeah uh moving on to the 1960s um definitely a lot of talented players um obviously we see at this time the league starting to take a little uh little turn more people are joining the league more Mm -hmm. talent so uh right off the right off the bat um I got Jerry West at the point you got Oscar Robinson at the two, Elgin Baylor at the three, Bill Russell at the four, and Wilt Chamberlain at the five. Off my bench, I got Bob Pettit, Walt Bellamy, Lenny Wilkins, Sam Jones, and Jerry uh, Lucas. My notable mentions is Bailey Howell. 
Um, so, so you, you you essentially did a a true starting five lineup for your all decade team. Yeah, you know, um, a lot of people have been, um, you know, putting four four guards and then a, a center, but I like to stay true. I like to do a point guard, shooting guard, you know, just kind of even it out. I'm I'm very old fashioned when it comes to the game of basketball. Um, like I said, a lot of people didn't agree with uh, some lineups. Uh, however, uh, through the '60s, I didn't uh, run into too many problems, uh, just because, like I said, the 1960s, the the league was just kind of shifting more uh, to that dominance level that the NBA is at, and we didn't really see too many guys um, be dominant in those days. And it was pretty, in my opinion, pretty easy to dominate in those days. You know, there wasn't a three point line. Um, you didn't, you didn't really see guys who are seven, seven feet through seven, three, as you do nowadays. So, uh, it was kind of, um, a given to put Wilt Chamberlain at the start of five. Um, don't know too much about, uh, Walt Bellamy. Um, just know that Walt Bellamy was a problem. Yeah. I read up on him. Uh, he was definitely a beast. Um, uh, yeah, he, if you, for those of you guys who don't know Walt Bellamy, Go ahead, look him up, YouTube. I think there's a couple clips of him, but my man could score. He could score the basketball. Yeah, um, was, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, also, I had to put Sam Jones, the one of the Celtic greats. Um, it, it's kind of crazy for the '60s because as as I date back to the '50s and '60s, I really I really base my thing off of who was relevant then. Uh, it's, it's kind of a, a bad way to do the lineups, but um, like I said, didn't run into too many problems there. Um, but uh, moving on to the 70s, uh, this this probably uh, – Yeah, this is where this I kind of have – This is where I started to pay attention more as a, as a youngster. Um, so I'm going to get right into it. Um, my, my starting point guard is Walt Frazier. Got to go with Julius to Dr. J. Irving. Uh, George Gerving at the three. Bob Lanier. Uh Beast power forward, six eleven. Uh, obviously, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar at the five. Pete Maravich, John Havlicek, Bob McAdoo, Dave Cohens, and Elvin Hayes. Um, my notable mentions are Chet Walker, Paul Westfall, Wes Unseld, and Bob Dandridge. So there's there's the '70s lineup. I honestly, I I had a really tough time because. I had John Havlicek in, uh, in, in, in lieu of uh, George Gerving for a very long time as I was writing. Mm. But the last second, I was watching some clips. Um, George Gerving was just a man of his own, and I had, to, I had to squeeze him in at the three spot. Yeah, I have no problems with that. George Gerving, Iceman. Absolutely. Peace. Um, you know, I, I put Paul Westfall in on my bench just because – he had he he did play for the Celtics, but the season that I I, I uh, really dove into was uh, when they played the Celtics in that finals. Uh, he was on the Phoenix Suns. Um, he was probably their leading. He led the league in points for the Suns. Um, he was just a very great basketball player. Obviously, Wes Unseld. Um, you could you can you you could agree that some teams might uh, put him on the bench. Um, might even be a starting spot. Um, I like I I tried to uh, challenge myself with this because a lot of people obviously there's thirteen thirteen to fifteen roster spots. I did a little five and five, so it was even more difficult for me to pick. Um, but yeah, um, Pete Maravich was a very very um, last minute addition to the list. Honestly, mm. uh, when you go through the seventies and you go through the NBA, there's so many talented players that you don't even know how long they've been playing for. And I had to go back and look at Pete Maravich's career with the Hawks and so on and so forth. And, I mean, it's kind of hard to pass up on a guy like Pete Maravich. I mean, he, he, he so almost revolutionized the, uh, the point guard position. So I think at some point Pete had to make a, a, a point to make and see this list. So good choice. All right. And moving on to the 1980s, this is where it's going to get fun from here on out for those of you who are listening. Um, we might have some disagreements. Um, I know uh, with this list, probably the starting five we'll agree with, but as we get into the bench, 
Um, I left I left some notable names off off the list, and let's 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 start it up. So obviously at point I got Irvin Magic Johnson, I got Magic Johnson. Uh, no, not Magic Johnson. I already said that. I put Michael Jordan at the two. Uh, very interesting for the '80s, but I felt like he dominated in the '80s just as much as he did in the '90s. Larry Bird, uh, Moses Malone, and Kevin McHale. That's my start at five. Kevin McHale. Exactly. Oof. Here we go. I mean, go ahead. Go ahead. Why? Why? There's just so many more talented. I mean, don't get me wrong. Kevin McHale was is a legend, but. I mean, when it comes to the 80s, there are just so many other talented people that you could have put there that would have made this list even just as good so, or even better. I did, I did it based on championships uh, for this, and Kevin McHale is probably one of the best big men. And obviously, he was part of that Celtics dynasty. Um, I just loved his play. He was a very grit and grind type of player. Uh, you could barely box this guy out. He was so shifty and quick down low, uh, get an offensive rebound after offensive rebound. Um, and he, he hurt you from the mid range as well. So he had a pretty much all around game and mm-hmm. that's kind of what did it for me. Cause it was, it was between him and Kareem and a lot of people are like, well, why didn't you put Kareem in the eighties? He won like four championships in that decade. Um, I mean, you, you put him in the in the in the on the bench. I put him on the bench in the eighties. Uh, that's where people get. That's where people. Uh, so I. He's still, he's still on, he's still on the squad. Um, just thought Kevin McHale had a lot more to give during that decade. And going into my bench, Dr. J made another appearance in a decade. Uh, Dominique Wilkins, I mean, come on, can't really keep him off that. Uh, Bernard King, love love his game. Oh, my God. He was probably uh, equivalent to the Carmelo Anthony of his day. Um, Hakeem Olajuwon and then Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Notable mentions were Alex English, George Gerving, Charles Barkley, James Worthy and Isaiah Thomas. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I, I mean, I, I love the players. I just don't think Kevin McHale belongs there in the starting five. I think you could put either, I mean, you could put Hakeem there. You could put um, Barkley there. I mean, both of them were dominant, dominant big men, averaging rebounds, assists, scoring. You know, people forget Charles Barkley was – it was an MVP, you know, he, he was a, a power forward that could score dribble. Um, he was doing things that Draymond um, is doing now that people ooh and ah over. So, I, I mean, Kevin McHale, he was a nice player, you know, but he also had talented players around him that, you know, complemented his, his great skills. So I think a lot of times Charles Barkley was carrying those, those teams that he was on. So I, I, again, I, I like Kevin McHale. I think he deserves to be on this team, but mm, I don't think he deserves to be starting while, you know, Charles Barkley is a notable mention. You know, it's it's kind of tough. It's tough, and honestly, I kept Charles Barkley out of the lineup because uh, when he first got into the league, his first few years in the league, he was playing with guys like Moses Malone and Julius Irving, so he really kind of struggled to find his his ways in Philadelphia. For, for like a year, and then his second year, he was like 20-plus a game. I mean – Yeah, it's it's very it's very hard. It was very hard to do these lineups. But, yeah, Kevin McHale just kind of did it for me. Um, that's – yeah. <laughs> I, I don't – yeah. I yeah. Know. I get yeah, I, yeah. I hear you. I hear you. Um, 1990s, um, uh, you're probably going to disagree. Um, I got John Stockton at the one, MJ at the two, Scotty Pimpin at the three, David Robinson at the four, Hakeem Olajuwon at the five. On my bench, Carl Malone, Reggie Miller, Charles Barkley, Clyde Drexler, and your boy Gary Payton. Notable mentions, Sean Kemp, Horace Grant, uh, Detail Schrempf, Tim Hardaway, and Shaq. Um, some could argue. I will say ahead. 
the girl, um, how do you pronounce his name? Shrimp? Yeah, the Tef um, or... Detlef? Yeah, Detlef? I think something like that. <laughs> he was a problem. I remember playing like NBA Live 2000, whatever, like early 2000s or whatever. He was a problem and he definitely had a name to remember. So I think that was a cool tidbit. Yeah. Some could argue why isn't Shaq on there? Um, it was some. some. Um, everyone. everyone, I think I think that's a huge. Shaq had, I mean, from the day he stepped into the league. If I'm going was, based on, if I'm going based on position wise, Carl Malone had him in the '90s. Uh, had him in the '90s. Um, wait, those are those are forwards. Charles Barkley was uh, true. No, Carl Malone. Pl- Slide slid down to play the five. No way. They had Greg Ostertag or fucking Greg Ostertag. Um, oh my god. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I think you're forgetting how dominant Shaq was as soon as he walked into the league, and I think he's he's easily the better the better center than what Hakeem was in the late stages of his career. Because um, uh, by that time, Hakeem. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, no, but for, I mean, Hakeem's a, a pretty good choice, but he he was starting to be towards the back end of his career, and Shaq was early '90s, so he got the full decade pretty much. I think he came in the league '92, '93, right? Yeah, '92, and then Hakeem was, I mean, I think '84, '85, something like that. So I mean, it's it's tough because that was still Hakeem's prime, but I mean, I think the, the fact that Shaq had the whole decade, and then he finishes it off with three straight chips into the 2000s. I mean, 2K kind of switched it up a little bit. They had John Stockton, MJ, Scottie Pippen, Carmelone, and Akeem Olajuwon. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Hakeem, Hakeem to me is just... I will go down saying, obviously, he's labeled as a center. I always thought of him as a power forward just because of how he worked down low in the post and his back to the basket and just his right. post work. He didn't play like a center. So mm-hmm. uh, when I do lineups in the future, I, I like to put him at the four just because he is a four to me. But you have to put him in a conversation over Shaq, in my opinion. He won two championships in the 90s, probably one of the best, if not the best, at his position at that time. Um you just even if you knew where he was going on that low block, you really didn't know where he was going on a low block. When you thought you had him figured out, he'd do he'd do another move to to throw you off. I mean, even Shaq said it himself. He was probably the toughest guy that Shaq guarded back in the nineties. Right, but Shaq was unstoppable. You you, you could say exactly what you just said for Elijah Warren, for Shaq and more. Because there, I mean, you would hope you would hope that Elijah Wong would miss the jumper, but you knew Shaq was either dunking the ball or getting fouled. You know, there was there was no in between. There was no miss jumpers or anything like that. It was one of the two, and I think that's he's the most dominant. I think, I definitely the most dominant center of all time. He may be the most dominant player. In terms of just one-on-one matchup, like just dominate you, he, he might be the best. You can't stop that. You can't. You really can't. And it's just it was beautiful to watch. It was beautiful to see. Um, that decade, I think the '90s was probably '80s and '90s was probably the best best two decades for basketball, in my opinion. Um, just because of the amount of talent. Obviously, back in those days, you had a lot of grit and grind where it's the rivalries, rivalries, but most more importantly, people, the rest let let these guys play. And it was really fun to watch. And there was no super teams. No, no, I could I I could go in depth about all of this. I I hate the hate those super teams. Uh, It was back um, back in those days. It was just 
dynamic duos after dynamic duo. It was just beautiful to watch. But moving on to the 2000s, this is where, I mean, we grew up watching these guys play. We idolized them. Um, for a while, that's these guys, these names were all I knew um, growing up. Um, yeah. So, I mean, before we move on to the 90s, I, I just want to make it known that the, the biggest – the biggest thing that person that was left off this list was Kevin Garnett. Let's let that be known right now that I personally think that Kevin Garnett is better than David Robinson. Than who? David Robinson. Oh, for the nineties? For the nineties. Really? I, the, 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 the fact that you didn't mention KG at all and you mentioned Sean Kemp and Horace Grant over them. Over them, I, I, I thought my eyes were de- deceiving me the first time I read this, but um, Kevin Garnett's not on there for the '90s. So, well, you're not going to like it for the 2000s either. It, it's just there's so many guys that you re- really forget about. You really just you forgot about Kevin Garnett at the at you... the time I was writing this. Yes, because there were so many talented guys that I thought before him. Wow. It it's crazy. It is really crazy. Um these lists really do something to you. You you forget those players and then you go back and you're like, "Whoa. What about this player?" Um after making this list, you're actually the first person that said that to me, leaving KG out of the 90s. No one else had a problem with it that I've talked to. Horace Grant was average. His his highest scoring season was fifteen points a game. Like, let's let's be honest here. Like, KG should should be on this list. He should be at least at the very least in the notable mentions. I'll give you that. I'll give you that one. All right, cool. We can move on to the two thousands now. I just wanted to make that known. Two thousands was everybody out there. a very very interesting decade. Um. I loved everything about the 2000s from from the teams to the play just you really saw like a whole different style of basketball than what you were seeing now but uh, I, I switched it up from my true lineup um, I put d at the point Argue, um, a lot of people I don't know D-Wade he, his 2000s he was just a beast came in, came in and just Gave him the business. I mean, his rookie year, he, he made it to the playoffs, which back in those days, that was unheard of to have a rookie lead a team to the playoffs. Um, Kobe Bryant at the two, LeBron James at the three, Tim Duncan at the four, and Shaq Daddy at the five. That's my starting at five. Um, my bench is Steve Nash, Allen Iverson, Tracy McGrady, Carmelo Anthony, Dirk Nowitzki. My notable mentions are... Jason Kidd, Paul Pierce, Kevin Garnett, Chris Paul, Deron Williams, Vince Carter, wow. and Marty Stoudemire. Wow. I mean, I don't really have any problems with the starting five. I think, again, KG, it has to be in there. I mean, <coughs> there's he was single-handedly the reason Minnesota was known as a city in the U.S. Um, he single-handedly kept the Timberwolves afloat. For the longest time, he was the highest-earning player of all time because of how great he was and the contracts he earned and how young he came in. 1995, he was dominating still, just out of high school. So, I mean, I'll take Shaq at the center. It doesn't get any more dominant than that. Obviously, LeBron. Obviously, Kobe. D-Wade, I mean, if we're going to go point cards, I don't think Wade would, would be there. Uh, I think if, if we were going to do a tree, true starting lineup, you'd have to um, – you'd probably have to go with Nash. Or um, – Iverson, I don't think, played long enough. In the 2000s. Um, really? Because 2K yeah, has it, him in the starting, starting one spot. But the thing with, at, 
the thing with AI is, yes, he was a great scorer, but he was a point guard. He didn't get – he battled so much with trying to accept that role as a playmaker, and obviously he's a great scorer. But when you think of point guards in that decade, you think of – he didn't play long enough, and that's why he is not in the starting lineup. Steve Nash probably would have been and over then, him. And Chris, Steve Nash is over him Chris on Paul. Bench just because his back-to-back MVP season. Dude was one of the best passers in the 2000s. I, th- I think if we're going to talk about best passers in the 2000s, I'm putting Steve Nash and then below that Jason Kidd and then Chris Paul. Um, but for me, it, that w- that's what made the difference. Um, Steve Nash was a well-put-together play- put together player. Um AI did make it farther than Nash as far as the finals are concerned. But, man, he made – Steve Nash made the Phoenix Suns fun to watch. Yeah, I mean, a two-time MVP. It's it's not hard to to argue for Steve Nash as – on any list that he's he's the man. His his court vision was unmatched. It's crazy because he was – always the smallest dude on the court. So Exactly. Yeah. Um I put D Will on this list because at one point in his career he was considered one of the top point guards in the league. That man is yeah. so underrated. I had to put him on the list. Not over a decade. He does have games. Not over a not, not I'm not I'm saying not over a decade. Oh. Like he, he was good for like three, four years, but Injuries, man. I think I. I honestly think you could have left him off the list, and and nobody would have thought twice about it. I think Jason Kidd and Chris Ball at that point filled the the two guard guard spots or point guard spots. Um, D Will was a nice player, but he, you know, he was another player who who cared more about money than, than winning. And just chase stats, so, and that's and that's what cost him. In the few years that he was very very good, you know, from elevating his game and getting to the the chip. Also, bad teams, but it's another story. I mean, he got a chip. Moving on to the two thousand tens, it's crazy, honestly. It seemed like the two. It seemed like 2010 was yesterday, and now we're talking about who's the best in this decade. So that was crazy for me. Um, obviously, Curry at the four, five, and a lot of people didn't like that pick, but people forget how. Dominant of a big man, he was equivalent to Shaq, in his, and that. Uh, I don't know about that. If you put if you put the numbers side by side, they're almost similar. Yeah, but Howard was catching lobs. Howard wasn't an automatic bucket down low. He had no post moves. He was just catching lobs from Jameer Nelson. You could say the same about Shaq. He didn't really have. A go-to post move. He just—he was a grit and grind. What are you talking? What? The, that are post spin. That post spin is the only thing he has. That's a—that's a move. That's a—that's a move. His drop step. Come on, James. That Shaq had a, a bunch of tools. Just because he was rugged with it doesn't mean he didn't have it. Dwight Howard, his jump hook was tragic. But if you needed a bucket in crunch time, you could give it to him, and he will fucking dominate. Nah, no way. No way. He would get fouled and miss free throws. I'm telling you, Dwight Howard is I, I get what you're trying I get what you're saying here, but he's not prepared to comparable to Shaq. I'm he's just not. saying obviously with the obviously he, if you put the he, Go ahead. He had three four years he averaged over twenty points a game. Who, Dwight or Dwight. And he came into the league in 2004 or 2005. So, in terms of 2000s, I mean, 
2010s. I mean, it's. I don't even think he was really that good. What other big man was relevant during that time? During the 2010s, uh, let's see. Ooh. Out the top of my head. Exactly, you can't think of a center relevant during that time. Mm, probably not. Probably not. But maybe like a Lamarcus Aldridge. He's a four. Uh, but maybe a Pau Gasol. Yeah, as as in terms of athleticism and dominance down low, Pau doesn't have that. He was more of a and, I, and and honestly, I would put Blake over Dwight then. Really? Yeah, because Blake, I mean, is more skilled than Dwight. In in terms of just post moves, ball handling, I mean, you see Blake crossing dudes up now. Like that's, and and back then he he was bringing the ball up the court with LA. So, I mean, I just there, you're right. There weren't as many dudes who were getting as much like airtime and clout as Dwight Howard because he was also an idiot. Um, but there were also other big men in the league who were who were skilled and could put the ball in the basket much better and much more fluidly than he could, and who, who are still doing it now. I mean, Dwight Howard can't even get a job, and uh, Blake Griffin is is really good still. So, yeah, I mean, it's kind of crazy now to see where players' careers are at right now. Um, but mm-hmm. moving on to the bench, All right, Chris Paul, Paul George. Carmelo Anthony, LaMarcus Aldridge, Blake Griffin. My notable mentions are Kawhi Leonard, Giannis, AD, Kobe, D-Wade, and Russell Westbrook. The only reason I left out Kawhi Leonard and Giannis is the same thing with Bill Russell. He only played – they only have three years in this decade. That's the only reason why I kept them off because – I felt like the players on the bench and the players in the starting lineup had more miles in that decade and had more of an impact. Obviously, you could argue to put Kawhi on the list, but Giannis is definitely off that list, in my opinion, just because when he first came into the league, same with Kawhi. When they first came into the league, they didn't show much. They were average players at best. I wouldn't say at best. I mean, I think they were average. (laughs) For sure, <laughs> I mean they weren't they weren't bad in, in any ways. I mean I think Kawhi averaged like fourteen points his his uh, first year in the league. He's it's at the end of the day it's it's all about players relative to the other. You know what I'm saying? So in terms of um, this list, I I I just don't think that you could have Dwight Howard on there, but not a Kawhi. Or even like a Westbrook. It, it, I, I know position wise, it's it's different. I know what you're trying to go for here, but is Dwight Howard really the a top five best player in terms of putting your top five best players out on the court to win you a basketball game? Is Dwight Howard one of those five players? And I don't I, think I, so. I put him. I put him in. I put him at the five in the lineup with Curry, Harden, Durant, and. LeBron, they'd still win. Yeah, but but he can't space the floor. Blake can space the floor. But Blake, but Blake wasn't as dominant of a rebounder. That's where he separates himself in that conversation, in my opinion. I mean, so eight or eight to nine, ten rebounds a game isn't enough. I mean, that's still pretty good. That's still pretty dominant while scoring twenty plus. But, yeah, I mean, like I said, Dwight Howard was that man for not not even four years, probably like five, six. Yeah. So that was the, the decade lineup. I had a lot of fun writing it. Um, yeah, man, you killed it. Obviously, the thing is, is everyone sees sees these decades differently and I love the conversation that's behind it. It's what the reason I wrote it. But moving on, and this is a very, very uh, 
important issue to my heart. Um, obviously, you guys know how much I love NBA 2K. Sorry, I'm not feeling well, so that's why I'm sniffling. Uh, I love 2K so much. Uh, they just put the WNBA into the game, and I love it. But as I'm looking on the comments of my posts and comments of the 2K post, it's just people are being so sexist towards women, and I can't stand it. These women have been battling their whole – pretty much as as far as the WA has been in existence, they've been battling to be recognized. And honestly, the WNBA is a great league to watch. And obviously, people can argue that they don't get paid enough, they're not relevant, but don't treat them like second-class citizens and don't degrade them as women just because they're in a, a game. And the fact of the matter is, is people have been saying like, oh, I'm not even going to buy this game because women are in it. It's not even going to affect you. If it's not going to affect you in a way, then why are you commenting on it? You just don't like the fact that women are in the game. I think that the WNBA deserves to be in the game. Um, obviously, there's been a lot of debate on, oh, like, why is Candace Parker a, 90, a 95 and Kyrie's only like a 91? How Like, they don't understand it's two different leagues. And it's just – Seriously. It's I, – I just – I hate – I just – I don't understand why people have to be sexist and why people have to degrade women. They deserve to be in the game. Absolutely, man. Right. At the end of the day, it comes down to video games are one of the most inclusive and uniting – things in the world, right? I mean, we just saw millions of people watch a 16-year-old win $3 million on live TV. You know what I'm saying? That's, that's something that is only reserved for, like, the Super Bowl. And, and people flocked to watch this dude win um, a crazy amount of money. So the fact that one of the most popular games of our generation um, a generation that is very, very progressive and trying to make sure that everybody feels inclusive and that we're pushing forth positive messages that um, everybody can get along with um, or get um, some sort of, um, you know, value out of. Uh, 2K is trying to be progressive by catering to a population that enjoys video games but doesn't get represented in them enough. Um, so I think what 2K is doing is amazing and it should be applauded, uh, but it should be celebrated to the point where it's, all right, this should be a first domino to a lot of different games, you know, diversifying their characters or everything else like that. Um, it should definitely be celebrated, you know, and honestly, the people online, who say otherwise are honestly not worth the, the mental brain power. They're ignorant. And honestly, it's, it's 2019. People are jerks. That's what it comes down to. Exactly. I mean, why can't you just let, let the game go on? Um, you see 2K is trying to expand and they're moving in the right direction. Um, but I don't know. I just saw, I just saw that happen the comments and I just didn't like what I saw had to had to mention on the podcast um that's one of the main things and no limit jumper that I'm trying to push is equality in some ways not just for women but for race and everything else um but yeah that was just a very hard thing to swallow as a 2k fan but and we all know they're gonna still buy the game like that's like it doesn't even it doesn't even matter. Like it's not even gonna affect you. Just don't play with the WNBA and you'll be fine. Move move on from it. But yeah, that's what it comes down to. But um, moving on here, um, man, this guy I just feel so bad for him. I mean, I don't know if I feel bad for him or or what. But Demarcus Cousins going down with another serious injury. I think this injury ruined his career as one of an, the elite big men in the league. Um, I think after this injury, he won't come back. He'll be an average player now. He won't 
be considered as what he used to be. Um, he just can't stay healthy. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it, what it comes down to is his skill set is obviously elite, right? We we he he honestly could have made a case to be on one of these two one of these um, on this 2010s list if he had stayed, um, you know, mentally strong and healthy uh, physically. But after this injury, I mean, let's be real. His his mobility in this NBA day and age wasn't where it needs to be before this injury. And it wasn't even where it needs to be before the quad injury. So at this point, three major injuries in 19 months. I mean, at, at this point, he, he's not going to see a big contract again. He'll be lucky to see any contract again. So I, I may, if I'm him, I'm retiring. You know, I, you know, I try to maybe get one more year, latch on, bet minimum, whatever, whatever. But I, I sure hope the finances are in order and the investments are looking right because um, he's not going to get a lucrative payday anytime soon. It was interesting that you said that he should just retire because I remember a conversation that I think we had way back with Derek Rose and I said that he should have thrown in the towel, but you said keep going. I just want to hear your thoughts on are these injuries to the point where it's very dangerous to come back? That's why he should retire because if he comes back and he tries to to try to be the in his mind, try to be that player that he used to be, he could ultimately damage himself for the rest of his life. Is that what you're trying to get at? No, not necessarily. I think it just comes down to can you play the game of basketball effectively in today's NBA? And if you look at those two players, Derrick Rose, he's a guard. He's quick. He's he's built to, you know, play in the NBA. DeMarcus Cousin, at this point, he wasn't the type of player that was getting up and down the court before these injuries. You remember Sacramento, he was – either the last one down or he's complaining about a call. So he never made it back down to the end of the court. And now with these injuries, he's even less mobile. So between the, think about it. He's a professional athlete. So it's hips, his knees, his ankles, his calves. These are all um, joints and muscle groups that he needs to pull from in order to be an elite athlete. So I don't think it's, I think where the danger lies is him, trying to continue to push because as you can see clearly the injuries are compounding on on each other so um this i you could talk to any doctor i'm not i'm no expert but i'm sure this acl is a built-up effect of you know the weakened achilles um the weakened quad um i'm assuming that's it's the same leg and all that they're still being pretty hush-hush about it, but um, it's probably the same leg. I mean, in his case, he shouldn't have been playing basketball with some locals. I mean, obviously, um, guys play ball over the summer. Um, they try to they try to stay in shape. They try to do what they can to, to stay grounded for the next season. But honestly um, – along with his injuries comes with his attitude and I just don't think he had the best attitude in his career. And it's sad to say, cause a lot of, a lot of people were considering the Lakers championship contenders. I mean, I, they still, they still do, but with the Marcus cousins, it was kind of like, Ooh, it's kind of like icing on the cake. Like, Ooh, we got him at a fair price. And now he went down and now everyone's kind of saying like, okay, well he's not going to really do much. So we're not really worried about him. Um, it kind of happened with Blake Griffin, too, when he went down with his injury, obviously. In his career, he's still a dominant player. But we're not going to find people talking about DeMarcus Cousins like we like people used to talk to him, talk about him. But um, I'd like to see him come back if he can. Um, but it's just a very, very tough day, tough week for Cousins. And I wish him all the best, honestly. Because it sucks to see any player come come down with an injury, and injuries are a very huge part of the NBA nowadays. Um, yep. So we'll see where his head's at. Like I said before, um, 
if his attitude lets him be positive, then that's great. But I feel like his attitude is going to drive him to retirement, as you, as you said that he should. So we'll see what happens with him. Um, obviously, Lakers will still be dominant. Come on now. Uh, so I don't know about dominant. I think they're going to be great. But they didn't lose much. They'll lose. Yeah, they didn't lose much in losing DeMarcus Cousins, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I still think they're vulnerable with or without him. So. Right. Um, lastly, um, Team USA. Man, guys keep dropping out left and right. Um, I find For good for reason. For good reason, right. Um, I mean, Montrez Harrell was just like, I'm leaving because I don't want to play, but he didn't really say it like that. He was like, I'm stepping off because I have to prepare for the upcoming season. He did it in a funny way uh, to the fans, but um, a lot of people were looking forward to playing Team USA basketball. But honestly, a lot of it has to do with, I feel, when they saw Paul George go down with his injury, um, obviously that was a big turn. Um, Who just got hurt? Uh, Kelly O'Neill. Kelly Olynyk, right? Yeah, Kelly Olynyk just got hurt for Team USA. He's Yo, yeah, he? he he. I think he tore his ACL or something. Not tore his ACL. No way. Or pulled something, but he's expected to play in um uh, the start of the season. I just feel like it, it has a lot to do with people not wanting to get hurt. And uh, C C J McCullum was on the Woj Pod uh, a few weeks ago, and he was talking about. Team USA basketball and how he wasn't going to put himself in that position because he has a season to look for and um, 82 games is a very long stretch with the playoffs. A lot of miles put on your body uh, that wears and tears on you during the season. So uh, the summer he really wants to just rest and and relax and enjoy his time at home and so on and so forth. But obviously I feel like Team USA should just have college players. Obviously, we see a lot of young guys on Team USA. Um, a lot of people are joking, like, oh, oh my God, like, now we're going to win by 40 now. Um, I looked at the starting lineup, and I think the starting lineup was De'Aaron Fox. I forget who was at the two. Um, P.J. Tucker at the four. Uh, Julius Randle at the five, I think. They're going small ball. I honestly don't know. A bunch of a bunch of mediocre players are on Team USA. And like I said, I feel like it has a lot to do with staying healthy for the regular season. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm, I'm with you on the, the college players should probably play. Um, honestly, it just comes down to this was the first time after seeing like that Paul George injury that players could have a choice or could make the choice with – seeing that other extreme option like oh someone did get hurt and now it's a game changer a lot of these players that dropped out are either on championship contenders or they're coming up on big contracts um so if i'm then i'm not coming anywhere near an la fitness basketball court um if my thing about boogie is no it's not his fault that his ACL um, got torn. But why are you playing with average people? You know what I'm saying? Like, the, why are you playing with people who aren't on your level? The likelihood of you getting hurt is so high. So high. Like, why don't you join one of these open gyms or open runs that I always see, you know, all these other... Like, I'm sure LeBron... Would play, would play basketball with you, you know? Like, why why do you feel like you need to go dominate at a LA Fitness? You know, I, I was I was watching video of him the other day, um, and he he's not moving well. He he doesn't move well. So if he if he's playing at LA Fitness with other guys who don't move well, it's not gonna be pretty. And you saw the end result. Yeah, absolutely, and honestly, throughout, I mean, we keep bringing up uh, DeMarcus Cousins. I mean, he's just a very hot topic at the moment, but he's out of shape. I mean, when was he in shape? He's 270 pounds, 6'11". Um, he's up there on weight, and 
he's right. not taking care of his body, as you say, and it's a lot. A lot of that has to do with his attitude. His attitude was never there from the beginning, and I think he just relied on his skill set to get him where he is. He's at right now in his career, and people forget. And this is one thing I like to stress about uh, no podcast is keeping your body prepared for as long as possible. Um, you want to contend when you're in your thirties and and mid mid thirties and uh, whatnot. And he's just not taking care of himself. He's I don't know what his diet's looking like. Like you said, he's playing with average people. He's lit- he was literally playing in flip flops against some locals with Eric Bledsoe. I mean, right. yeah, it, it'll get it'll get it'll go viral for about two days or what, but what is the point of that? Like you should be in the gym working out. And I guarantee you, because after he did that two days later or so, he went down and tore his ACL at at training camp. And that has to do with fooling around and not being prepared. I feel like if you're playing basketball during the summer, you need to make sure like, I'm going to be, I'm I'm going to a, a, I'm I'm conditioning before I go into the gym to make sure that I'm, I'm, I'm ready and I'm able to play. And obviously if like you said, you can't let themselves get and above it's Eddie Curry, who is probably the largest player in the league. And, um, Yeah, 284. Um, mm-hmm. You really have to be cautious of your weight and your body type because it's, it can only get you so far in this league. And as I said before, and I'll keep saying it again, he's relying on a skill set to get him this far in his career, and it's showing. Yeah, it's uh, it's unfortunate. Um, I'd like to see because uh, honestly. College players should really be highly considered for Team USA because it only benefits them. You know, they're why not put them on a bigger pedestal and a bigger platform to expand their game, to be noticed by the NBA, to be noticed, be noticed worldwide instead of having NBA players who are just trying to relax during the summer and trying to get ready for the next season. They don't want to waste their time with that. I mean, the last time we mm-hmm. saw a dominant dominant roster was probably back when Kobe, KD, LeBron, uh, Tyson Chandler, that lineup all played together. Because back then, I feel like it was different. People wanted the ball. People there and play with mm-hmm. Honestly, it's guys like Paul George and Kelly hurt at these camps. And I don't know if you saw, but Kyle Kuzma went up for a windmill and landed on leg, and it looked so scary. Obviously, he's fine. You gotta be careful. Like you can't show out and you can't show off. You gotta be careful. Reminds me of uh, Tony Allen back in the day, uh, the Celtics after the whistle going up and trying to do a tomahawk comes down, tears his ACL. Crazy. 